are glad that you joined us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. If you've been impacted by Fuel Church, share your story with us by emailing thefuelchurch.com. And to learn more about our worship experiences, visit our website at www.thefuelchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Today, I want to talk to you about the crown. I want to give you a concept about the value of your life. And I want you to see it in the concept of a crown. Crown is uh, a very unique and powerful imagery. A crown represents honor. It represents dignity. It represents dominion. A crown serves as a purpose to preserve and project. In other words, a, a crown uh, preserves, it, it, it contains, it, it actually protects your mind, it actually protects your sphere of authority. It also projects uh, that, uh, that you have influence over externally. Like a wall, it protects and projects. A crown is, is something that if I can... Communicate effectively today will be something that you'll have an image of the rest of your life. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm going to give you a lot of Bible, but the way my style of preaching is to talk to you from my heart. So once Jesus tells me what I'm going to preach on, and I pray, and, and like I know Jesus knows who's going to be here. And so I say, tell me what to say so that when the people are there, it'll be custom designed for them. And when I'm preaching, I'm actually going to answer some questions that you've been asking God. And that's how you're going to know he's listening to you. And this is designed for you. So I put all this word in my heart. So don't be bothered by the fact that I'm not going to be actually looking at scriptures and reading them. But you're going to be getting them. In fact, if you're taking notes, we're going to hit Psalms 8. And then we're going to take... Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 in portion and chapter 2. We're going to drive by Acts 17, 26, and 27. Uh, And then we're going to stop off at Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, and then bounce back up to Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 through uh, 6. And, And this is a little bit of an understanding of, everybody say, the crown. Yeah, so the, the concept comes from a song that David wrote years ago in Psalms 8 when he says, uh, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name on the earth. And uh, you who made the heavens, the sun, the stars, the expanding universe. And what is man that in the greatness of creation that you are mindful, that you think about us? For you've made us just a little lower than the angels. And the word angels there in the Hebrew, most scholars would agree, actually is the word for God, Elohim. So it actually saying, you have made us a little lower than God. Now, little is a relative term. Lower is a relative term. I mean, we're not God, but there's God and then we're next. And you have crowned him with glory and you've given dominion over all creation. And you have made him to have all things subject to him. Oh Lord, how excellent is your name. What a concept that God sees us as his crown jewel, that he has crowned us. 
And we all know we were made from the dust of the earth. The Bible says he took the dirt and he made and formed man. So that's why evolutionists will never run out of biologically connection between us and animals. But we are different. At some point, God took the same elements of animals and certain instincts and and then he breathed into man the breath, or the word breath means spirit. Actually, God breathed himself into man. And in that came a consciousness of themselves. In that came this sense of worth, a sense of will, a sense of destiny. And it separated you from the animals, separated you from creation. In fact, God is not at work and at all concerned about creation. That's our responsibility now. God's not got his hands thinking, ooh, what am I going to do with the Grand Canyon now? Because you are his workmanship. God has crowned you. He, he, he thinks about you. God thinks about you. If he had a wallet, your picture would be in it. A screensaver, there you are. God thinks about you. That's what Jeremiah 29 11 says, that God thinks about you. Think about that, that God, I mean, there's, out of all the things God could be doing, he is into you. The Bible says, Jesus said, here's the way the father thinks about you. He's like, um, he's like, he counts the number of hair on your head. That's how into you God is. Some of us are making it easier for him. It's like, God, while you were sleeping, God's watching over you. Like you're the only person on the planet. 10,001, 10,002, 10, 000, mm, we're going to lose that one. <laughs> the Bible says that his eye is on the sparrow. And when a sparrow falls and dies, did you know God has never missed a funeral of one sparrow? The little boy was staring, staring at a sparrow on the ground dead. And the mother said, what are you doing? He said, I'm waiting for God. Because he remembered the Sunday school teacher saying that his eyes is on you, that he thinks about you, that he counts the number of hair on your head, and that not one sparrow falls to the ground that he doesn't take note of. That's why the old classic song goes when, when it says, why should my heart be discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart go on longing? For heaven and for home. When Jesus is my portion. He is my constant friend. His eye is on the sparrow. Listen. And I know he watches me. God thinks about me. He thinks about you. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, there's 7 billion people. That's a very romantic idea that God can think about me. But let's get real here. There's 7 billion of us. Surely God cannot be thinking about me. But he has. He does and he has and he can. He's God. Here's a small way of trying to grasp it. Uh, when Jeannie and I got married, after a couple of years, we had our first child. When Kara was born into the world, she came into the world and said, Kara, oh, I loved her. She had my whole heart. Kara, I love you with my whole heart. 14 months later, Philip, my son, came into the world. Philip, oh, I love you with my whole heart. Kara, I love you with my whole heart. And then five years later, Andrew came into the world. Andrew! 
can I do that? I can do that because I do. As an individual, I love Kara, Philip, and you. Individually, they own my heart. Oh, yeah. And if you think that's something, 10 years ago, my daughter had our first grand. Oh, I love those grands. In fact, I don't even know what it is I had for my children because it doesn't compare to what I got for my grands. In fact, somebody said, grandchildren are God's reward for you not killing your kids. So I just want to tell you, just get through it with your kids. Get through, you know, the days are long, the years are short, and when the grands come, heaven on earth. God thinks of you. He thinks of you. You fill his world. He thinks of you. God not only thinks about you, but they're good thoughts. You're not on his nerves. It's not like God's like, oh man, just one more time. I mean, I get on my wife's nerves. I get on my kids' nerves. But I'm not on God's nerves. The Bible says the thoughts that he has towards you are good. Not to do evil, like, ooh, they're good. Not only does God think of you, but God thinks good of you. And here's the real kicker. God put much thought into you. Because the Bible actually tells us in Acts 17, 26, and 27, that from one blood, God predetermined when you would be born, where you would be born, and by whom you would be born through. Because you did not come from your parents. You came through your parents. Because Paul was trying to explain this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.9 when he said, Timothy, you have value. You have value. You have worth. In fact, there's a calling on your life, Timothy. And that calling didn't start in your mother, though she's good. And it didn't start in your grandmother, though she's good. But it actually started in my mind before. Listen, time began. God thought of Timothy and put a call. Let's go back to the very beginning. In the beginning, God. And before the first tick-tock, God had you in mind. And he determined when you would be born, where you would be born, by whom you would be born through. He has crowned you. He has given you dignity. The little boy was caught sneaking into the little baby sister's room. Through the monitoring system, the mother wondered, what is he doing? She's just three days old. And the little boy leaned over and said to his baby sister, sis, tell me about God. I've almost forgotten. Today, I've come to remind you the value, the worth, the crown. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, Jesus is speaking and he says, let no man take your crown. You see, that's where the battle is. The battle is not between God and Satan. The battle is not between light and darkness. The battle is not between good and evil. The battle is over your crown. And you must own and have an ownership That no man will take your crown because your crown represents your dignity. 
Dignity is the opposite of sin. Sin is an enemy of your dignity. The greatest sin is not your behavior. The greatest sin is you forfeiting your crown because you've missed the mark of why you're here. You see, sin is a terminology the Bible uses, but it actually comes from archers, people that put targets out and use bow and arrow. And when they hit the target, they hit it. If you miss the mark, it's called sin. So the Bible tells us what sin is. See, we have a problem with sin in the church. The problem with sin in the church is we have the wrong definition of sin. We think sin is our behavior. Don't do this. Don't do that. That's a sin. That's a sin. That's a sin. When I was growing up, everything was a sin. And the list gets gets longer and longer. Oh, no, that's not sin. That's not sin. Those are behaviors and symptoms of sin. Sin is very simple. It's a simple definition. It's a one thing that you have to understand It is when you miss the mark of the high calling, the crown that God has given you. When you're off target, you now have missed the mark. Everything else is a result of your crown being taken. And we have a society. We have people in authority. We constantly have people trying to take the crown off of us. You're too tall. You're too short. You you weigh this. You should weigh that. You should look this. You should be this. We have all of these people looking at a society of competition to where we feel like that we're not good enough and we struggle with that. And that, my friend, is the sin problem. I've come here today to tell you that of all the things that God has created and the expanding universe that God is obsessed with you, he thinks of you, thinks good of you, has put much thought into you. Your DNA matches your destiny. And I know some of us don't like our DNA. We look and we see the iniquity. We see the weaknesses. We see the struggles. But Jesus's DNA was not perfect. Read it. Matthew 1. It lists his DNA. He had kings and priests, pimps and prostitutes. All made up the DNA of which God redeemed and used it. Because your history matches your destiny if you get your crown back. The challenge is is that we allow the dust nature, the lower nature, the animal nature, if you will. When Jesus said, uh, lose your life that you might find it, he wasn't saying you don't matter, your life doesn't matter. He was saying in the Greek, the lower life you must rise above in order to live the higher life. You can feel the pull of the dust nature. I'm 62 Friday, I'll be 62. And the dust wants to go back. No, you don't. And our dust nature has instincts. We all are driven by four instincts. Survival, sexuality, status, significance. Significance is the crown that I'm trying to get back on your head today. Significance is the crown I'm telling you to get back. 
Significance is the crown of which sets you high above. And you recognize that those, these instincts are very real. They are to be your servant, not your master. You don't let survival be your master. You'll overeat. You'll overdo. You won't bring dignity and control. Your survival instincts will become dog eat dog. First of all, you're not a dog. And number two, dogs don't eat dogs. Survival instincts allow you to be able to survive. But if you ever, ever lose your crown, you will step over, lose your dignity and integrity. Your sexuality gives you a sense of identity. Your sense of your role of the human race and the family. Gives you a sense of who you are. Sexuality is a very strong force. But it should never be your master. You don't do what you want with what you've got with whoever you want. Because you are not an animal. You are not but dust. God has breathed into you his very image, his very likeness. He has given you a crown. So you don't just let anybody do to you whatever they want to do to you. You don't let anybody abuse you. You don't take that abuse as your identity. Get back your crown. And just because you bought me a cheeseburger don't mean you bought me. So I don't look at people's bodies as something that I abuse. I have respect for women. I have respect for people. I don't allow myself to be pulled down into the dust nature to where I see people as objects. I'm a child of God. I have a crown. I carry dignity. I have dignity. See, sin wants to shame you. God used to meet with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Actually, it means in the spirit of the day. There was a spiritual dimension that Adam and Eve were able to have a communication with God. And one day, they ate of the tree of the good knowledge of good and evil, all through the temptation to be something they already were. The enemy said, hey, you eat this, you'll be like God. Hello, I already am. If you eat this, you'll have authority and and, and you have power. Thank you. I already have. But when they did, it's not what Satan does to you that makes God mad. It's not the behavior that makes God mad. What makes God mad is what the devil does to you after you do it. Because it hurts him to see you demoralized. When God came in the garden, he said, Adam, Eve, where are you? That wasn't a geographical question. Like, oh my goodness, where are they? It's like those people in LA. I live in, in Orange County, California. We have five car chases every day. And you see these people just dodging in and out. And there's 1,500 helicopters and every camera on them. They're like, oh. And Adam and Eve, and God said, Where are you? It wasn't a geographical question. It was a positional question. Where's my king? Where's my queen? Where's your crown? Where's your dignity? Where's your dominion? Where's your destiny? We're over here. We are naked. And we are ashamed. God said, who told you? Who 
told you you were naked? Who told you to be ashamed? Who told you you were a failure? Who told you you were a loser? Who told you that you weren't good enough? Who told you that you had extended your grace? Who told you? Today I've come to tell you today, do not listen to shame. Shame is not on God's payroll. God does not use shame to alter your behavior. In fact, when shame comes your way, you better be best to get your crown on and don't let it talk you out of taking your crown off because shame cannot transform you. Shame cannot change you. In fact, the truth of the matter is when you do wrong and you feel shame, the shame is a guarantee that you will repeat the very thing you are ashamed of. Oh, God, I'm so stupid. I said I'd never do this again. I'm so ashamed. At that moment, you just bit the hook. And you will betray yourself tomorrow, next week, next year, because the hook is in the jaw. Oh, no, don't take the bait. When God forgave you of your sin... He purged you with his own blood. God lives. Listen, this is a tough one. You may not get this. God lives in the ever zone where past, present, and future coexist. Very important for you to know that. He is, he was, and he is to come. Every time God's mentioned, Jesus is mentioned in Revelation, it's in three tenths. Every time he's mentioned, I'm talking about the God who was is and is to come. So whatever God does, he does in a realm of which affects that which was and is and is to come. And what does that mean to you? That means when God saved you and when he redeemed you and when he purged you with his own blood, your sins, he didn't just forgive you of your sins up until now. He forgave you of your sins of what was and that which is and that which is to come. When he saved you, he saved you from all your sins. All, all. Non-negotiable. You say, well, preacher, you mean if I sin after I'm saved that, 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 that I, I don't need for God to forgive me? No, you may need to clear your conscience, but that's non-negotiable. You don't go to God every time you sin and say, God, I'm so sorry. Really? I'll never do it again. Really? This is the 1,731st time you've done this. Uh, Let me see. Okay, let's do it again. Oh, no. What you need is to get your crown back. Oh, God. Needle and arm. Head spinning. Cup in hand. The buzz still fogging your brain. And shame says, shame on you. It's in that moment when you say, I am a child of God. I have been crowned with dignity and dominion. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I may not look like it today, but no man will take my crown. No man will take my crown. No man will take my crown.
crown. I want that minute back. You took it from me. I only have 30. <laughs> oh, man. Get your crown back. Get your crown back. Get your dignity back. The opposite of sin is dignity. Get your dignity back. I'm better than this. This is not who I am. <clears throat> yeah, but you've been doing this drugs for many, many years. No, it's not who I am. I'm not my behavior. I know who I am. Just give me, just let me keep going at it. Let me just keep saying it. Let me just keep, I'm not going to, and you know what? Let no man take your crown. And not means you. You can, I, and I. Sometimes the greatest enemy is in a me. And I got to look into that mirror. And I got to say I'm good enough. Because it does no one, no good. For you to think no good of yourself. It doesn't help God for you to say, I'm no good. It does no one no good for you to think no good. That's, that's tweetable. That could be tweeted at Phil Muncy. Ready? <laughs> it does no one no good for you to think no good of yourself. You see, we have a false humility in religion. It's confusing sometimes. You go to church and you hear a sermon. You're God's child. God came to give you abundant life. You come back the next week. You must crucify the flesh. You must die to your will. Okay. Next week. You are the head and not the tail. You are a child of destiny. Woo. Next week. Unless you fall to the ground and die, you abide alone. Oh, God. It's like, what is it? He loves me, he loves me not. Torn between two lovers, I'm feeling like a fool, loving. I don't. You see, I get, let me give you a 90 second theology lesson. When you hear the word flesh in the New Testament, the majority of the time it's not talking about your body. It's not talking. God would never take the creation of humanity, his prize creation, and say, you're no good. Oh, no. No more than you take a rose and spit on it and rip it up and say, bad rose. No would God ever want you to look into the mirror and say, bad person, bad. You're no good. Get your flesh out of the way and you'll glorify God. Oh, no. God didn't come to eliminate you. He came to elevate you. God doesn't want to be first in your life. Pause for effect. He wants to be your life. He doesn't want the God room where you go on Sunday mornings and say, okay, God, me and you, I did you first, and then live the rest of your life struggling. He wants you to be there on Monday morning. When you're laughing, he wants to be there. When you're golfing, you need him there. He wants to be your Life, do not segregate God in compartments. He loves everything about you. He's for you, not against you. Who told you 
You need to get your crown back, get your sense of worth back, that I am a child of God. You see, the religion of Judaism which was the religion before Jesus came and then he converted Judaism into the new covenant. That was the religion of the flesh. See? So when the Bible talks about the flesh, he's not talking about the temple of the Holy Spirit. Act like you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) He's talking about the religion of the flesh. See, Judaism was a religion of the flesh. You could only be in the religion if your mom and dad were. You had to be born in the Jewish family to be a Judaizer. If your mom wasn't a Jew, if your dad wasn't a Jew, you can't be. Oh, yes, there was an exception. There was an operation of the flesh. And let's not go there. Google it. So that at the end of the day, if you were a Judaizer, you got there by the flesh. And Paul was now saying, new game, new rules. It will no longer be by the flesh. For in the flesh dwelleth no good thing. Get it? You are a child of God. Your worth is your crown. Your will is your crown. Your will is the most powerful force on the earth. Yes, the most powerful force on the earth. You say, well, I think God is the most powerful. No, God delegated his authority to your will. And God can do nothing on the planet unless somebody says, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Meaning what? Meaning your will has the authority to stop, grieve the Holy Spirit or release. Your will has the ability to bind or to loose. Your will is your crown. That's why the devil would like to break your will down. That's why the Bible says, beware of sorcery. Sorcery in the New Testament is the Greek word pharmaceutical. See, Beware of what you put in your mouth, what you put in your vein. Beware of anything that alters your will. Because if your will gets altered, you lose your crown. I know you feel pain and you want to numb it. I, I get it. I know you need a release of the pressure of life. I get it. But anything that weakens your will is a compromise to your crown. Now the end is near. <laughs> I got to do this quickly. Joe, come on up here with me. Use you for a second. I got to tell this story. I was at Lakewood preaching. I got done preaching. A mother came up to me and said, uh, talk to my boy. Tell him. Tell him. What's your name? David. Tell him. He's eight years old. He won't look at me. He's looking down. He won't look at me. Tell him he's good people. I don't want to. Finally, I got down on my knees. I said, David, look at me. You and I ain't going nowhere until you say something. Because your mom is not going to let us go. I got him to look at me. What's going on, David? I don't know why, he said. I don't know why, he said again. But every night when I take a bath, I try to drown myself. Oh my God, I have an eight-year-old boy telling me. He wants to kill himself every night. I can't handle this. My brain, I, I freeze. I, 
What do you tell an eight-year-old boy? Are you kidding me? God gave me a word of knowledge. I said, David, look at me. I said, David, that's not you. That's why when you said, I don't know twice, it's because you don't know because that's not you. That's the devil impersonating your voice. Making it sound like it's you, but it's not you. Because inside you want to live, and that's why you're confused about saying, I don't know. Because it's not you, it's him impersonating your voice. The devil is a ventriloquist using our ego to look like a dummy. It's not you, David. Then God said, obey me. Okay, God, what's next? I pushed him. I said, come back here. I did it again. By this time, the security is stepping up. The mother's looking at me like, what? What's the preacher pushing my eight-year-old boy for? And I said, I'm going to do it again, but this time don't let me. Resist me. There you go, David. Come on. Yeah. Let me tell you something. That's what you do. The next time that thought comes into your mind, remind yourself that's not you. And resist, resist, resist. Get your crown on because that's not who you are. Give you a big hand clap. Are you hearing me today? Are you hearing me today? If it's shame, resist. If it makes you feel bad, resist. Resist. I ain't going to church because of what I did last night. Resist. Because grace works at its best when you're at your worst. Get your crown back on. Don't let anybody take it. Some of you, you gave it away when you hate. You gave it away when you were abused. You gave it to the abuser. I'm sorry you were abused. I'm sorry. But don't give me your crown. Don't give me your crown. She was raped 200 times. Really 200? Yeah, because she counted. She counted by her own father. The pain. One time on a dark road, knowing what was about to happen, she prayed, oh, God, save me from this. And a police officer came, lights flashing. She saw I'm saved. The father goes and talks to the police officer. Fifteen minutes later, the police officer gets in the back seat and abuses her. How does someone live with that? How does a human being live with the fact that you were abused by the very people that ought to be protecting you? How do you get over that? I don't know, but Joyce Myers did. Joyce Myers decided that she wasn't going to give her crown to anyone. She found her crown, and now she changes the world. I'm talking to somebody. Get your crown back. Tell your wife, you tell your husband, you tell your kids, you tell your parents, I love you, but I got a crown. And I can't let you take it. I love you, but you ain't taking my crown. Because I have to stand before God. And I can't say he took my crown. Those people abused me, they took my crown. Oh no, let no man, let no woman, let nobody, not even you, take
destiny's not going anywhere without you. So get up. Get off your feet. Get off your pain. Get up. Your destiny's waiting for you. It ain't going nowhere without you. Are you ready to get back in the game? Are you ready to hold on to your crown? Your eyes are closed, but your heart is open. Hey, thanks for listening today. And maybe you're out there and maybe you feel far from God today. Maybe life has thrown you a curveball. You've taken some wrong turns. You've messed up. I'm here to tell you about God's love for your life. You know, it's real and it's for you. And, and no matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, God is there. His love is unconditional. And, and the Bible says that if you just confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you're saved. And I'm going to lead you through a prayer, and I just believe that if you say this prayer and mean it with your heart, the Bible says you're saved, and I want to encourage you to tell somebody about this decision. But just wherever you're at, just say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Change me. In Jesus' name. It's simple as that, and I encourage you to find a good local church. If if you can get to Fuel Church, get here. God is moving. God is doing some great things the lives and families of the people that come here, but find a good church where you can grow in God. Until next time, God bless you. Have a great week.